The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Hey everybody, welcome to Take Off with John Clark, and we have a special guest, and he's got a new book out. Malcolm Jenkins wrote his memoir, How Cool Is This? It's called What Winners Won't Tell You. We're going to get into that. This was a big endeavor, huh? Yeah, uh, man, it took me two years really ideating it, and, and I ended up pinning it myself uh, in, in a pretty pretty short time span of like 30 days. But it's, it's one of those things that, you know, I had to take my 13 year career and try to distill it down into a narrative and something I wanted to talk about, which was therapeutic, but also a little, a little difficult. But I hope that, you know, I walk people through those memories that we all have seen and, and lived through, but try to give you a different vantage point. I try to put people in my brain, in my psyche uh, and show kind of all of the things that, you know, are behind the scenes, the ups, the downs, everything from, you know, divorce to uh, anxieties, but also those like being able to come through them, understanding therapy, understanding, you know, leadership and, and all the things I've done in Philadelphia and across the country. So hopefully, you know, those who are big fans of me uh, enjoy this new spin on the story, but even those who don't know me uh, may be inspired by my journey. That is great. It is called what winners won't tell you. We're going to get into a little more detail. There it is. Nice picture. Still yeah, in great you. shape. Still in great shape. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I have a couple of questions about the Eagles before we dive into the book. You know, of course, Taylor Swift questions too. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Don't worry. This is a Taylor Thank Swift free zone here. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you know all about having a great successful season, winning the mm -hmm. Super Bowl with the Eagles and the Saints, and then coming back next year and climbing that mountain. And here in Philly, yes, the Eagles are 4-0. But you hear some of the guys say, we have a lot to clean up. And you hear talk radio, of course, saying, boy, there's a lot of things they have to work on. Where do you think the Eagles are? How well do you think they've done kind of starting to climb that mountain again? Yeah, I think they're in a great place uh, because the hardest part about getting to the top of the mountain the year before is forgetting about it. In the next year, everybody has these expectations that you'll just get back there. And it takes, uh, you know, we forget about the journey that they took last year, how long and how steady they had to stay throughout the season. So to be 4-0 where you're winning, but it doesn't feel good. Every, you know, everybody's still being able to see where you need to get better at. It's occupying your attention, right? You, you don't feel satisfied, which means you go in each week looking for something to get better at. That's a great place to be for a hungry team, especially one that's still getting wins. So I think that's like the balance. You know, I, I was laughing recently. I'm like, when you start having success, all of a sudden the expectations, you know, change. I'm like, Philly's never been a place for style points, but suddenly we want to win by 30 every time. The team's undefeated and we still are, <laughs> are concerned. But that's, uh, you know, that's that's what comes with success. And that's what's hard about trying to get back to it. So I think they're in a good space. Yeah, and of course, you were teammates with the great Jason Kelsey, and he is a heck of a leader along with yourself. And, and, and I've heard tons of stories about how Jason will bring up things and get emotional about things. What do you think he's like? Because they watched the film 
in front of the entire team. Mistakes are all out there. What do you think he's like when you have to clean up some stuff? Because he's always said you don't want to be comfortable. Yeah, I think he's one of those people that, you know, has made his career being uncomfortable and being being comfortable in that space. You know, when people are 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 hyping you up and 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 praising you and putting you on a pedestal, that's where he gets uncomfortable. That's very much like myself. I deal with adversity way better than I deal with success. So I think, you know, again, I think he's right. He's probably very comfortable right now, right? This is where, where it's at. They're still winning, yet everyone around them still has doubts. They still don't feel like they've played their best football. And so I think that's where leaders like like Jason really shine because that's that's his element. That's natural to him. Like, yes, keep our foot to the pavement, keep our head down. Let's not worry about the crowd. You know, you you can you create this like narrative of us versus them, uh, even though you're four and you know, so <laughs> that's a good spot. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people said they look at the line and it's Eagles are favored by nine points over Washington. They see Sam Howell's a quarterback and all that stuff. But you remember NFC East games with the Eagles, that familiarity. How tough is that? Yeah, I mean, it's a divisional game. You know, those those records and who you got on your squad don't matter. They always come down to the to the wire. And so what you want to see is like, yeah, when when a team shocks you and punches you in the face, can you recover? Can you, you know, come back? Can you show poise? Can you execute when the game's on the line? And this team did that. And so I think, you know, you every game is different. There's no such thing as style points in the NFL. The, the margin uh, of talent is just too close. So, you know, you're just looking at, do you do the things that win consistently? And I think this team, you know, more than probably any other in the league shows that it does the things to win football games on a more consistent basis than everyone else. Yeah. And and when you come from behind in a game, they were down 10 and yeah, there's ups and downs. There's some mistakes, but they persevere and they win. They do have some new guys on defense, a couple new guys on offense. What does that do, that shared experience of sticking with it, coming from behind? Jalen Hurts, you know, he said it can shift the spirit of a team. Like, what does that do for a team? Yeah, you prove it to yourself that you're built for it. And so when you start to, you know, inevitably you'll face some adversity again throughout the season and it it prolongs the time before that doubt creeps in. You know, when that that challenge comes, you've already proven to yourself that you can do it. So you automatically believe that you'll step into it. And you practice those things. So that's you want that, right? The worst thing you want to be is a, a team that is undefeated. It is 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 doing well late in the season, but you've never been tested. And then we you wait to the biggest stages to see if you've actually, you know, have that belief in each other, if you have that ability to will yourself to victory. You want to learn that stuff as early in the season as possible. So Fletcher Cox, another former teammate of yours. Uh, you've got some great veterans left on this team. Uh, he said the other day, these young guys, these young Georgia Bulldogs, uh, you know, they're making him feel young. And and Brandon Graham was joking, man, what's got into Fletch? You know, they're on his butt. And how much do you see, you know, when you have those young guys come in, Jordan Davis, Jalen Carter, and those guys, when you're a vet and you see these young guys, what does that do to you? And, and, and how good of a mix is that at defensive tackle? I mean, it's really good. I think I can remember when I went to New Orleans the second time after leaving Philly, you know, that secondary was like very young and I was kind of the the old man to them. And I, it made me change my role. Like suddenly I wasn't necessarily the guy. I was one of, you know, the secondary. And then I had a bunch of young talent around me. And that really took a lot of pressure off me as a leader. It allowed, it allowed me to be a little bit more youthful to feel you know, uh, younger and feel like part of the pack. So I think that's one of those things, right? You insert younger talent around you. It forces you to compete. You know, you're used to being kind of the guy and, and that's really not the case no more. It's the group. 
Um, so I think that does take a little bit of pressure off of guys like Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox, allows them to, you know, go back to just playing and, and being a leader, you know, only in these select moments. They know that the whole game's not riding on their back. And uh, they called Yonk, right? <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right. So you were uh, honorary captain coming back to the link for the game against the Vikings. What's that like when you come back here to Philadelphia, the link, or even training camp? Uh, but you got in front of that crowd at the link again. What's that feel like for you? Yeah, I've, you know, I've tried to stay away from the game a little bit just to kind of give myself a, a breather. And, you know, I popped up at some games last year at Super Bowl and, and playoffs, but, um, you know, I, I'd really been kind of detached. So to get back in the environment and see the love, it's like you, you as a player on the field, you don't always get to, to, appreciate what you mean to maybe the fans or, or things like that. So to walk through the link, you know, and get stopped by people who are just saying how much they love me, showering me with praises, showering me with love was really uh, refreshing. You know, it was, it was definitely something I appreciated. Um, you know, those experiences, again, you take for granted a little bit as a player because you're so used to it. It's you do it every day, but being out of it and coming back into that environment definitely meant a lot to me. Yeah. I've talked to some former Eagles who retired, and they say the number one thing they miss is running out of that tunnel at the link. Is that the same for you? Or what What do you miss the most about the action? Yeah, you know, I don't miss the game much. I think I was very present, you know, especially in my time in Philly. I wanted to be, you know, aware of everything that was going on. So when I came out of the tunnel, I was very aware of the stage I was on, the platform I was on, and what I wanted to do. I used to, you know, you used to tell people all the time, like, stop looking in the stands and focus on what you're doing. I was a guy who looked in the stands. I took, you know, inventory of like the environment because I knew that this was a short window of time. You know, even now, if I go on the field, it's not in a uniform, right? It's to do my golf wave, get a, get a clap and then <laughs> go back in the stands. So I took advantage of every opportunity I had and really enjoyed it. So when I left the game, I don't miss being on it. I can I can remember those memories and think fondly of them, but I also know that that time has passed. And and for me, I really miss the structure of football, like being around, uh, being in an environment in which everything is so motivational motivational driven. You're around people who are iron sharpen, sharpens iron. You see motivational quotes everywhere. You've got a schedule. You know every day you're getting better week in and week out those kind of environments don't really exist outside of sports. And so I found myself out, you know, as an outsider now I'm trying to recreate <laughs> some of that magic in my own life. And you really truly understand how special uh, being able to put on that uniform was. Maybe you could develop a camp for kids that would kind of have <laughs> that structure and the motivation. Yeah. I mean, you know, we did the football camps. It's, it's now the challenge in life. And this is where I'm at is how do I take all of that, those things I learned, that same type of environment that I was able to cultivate as a as a leader or a captain on a team, how do I take that and apply it now to these other areas of my life, whether it's business, whether it's my family, whether it's the things I do in communities, you know, uh, how I motivate people. It's it's not to like turn the page and, and like now all that stuff is useless. It's no, now my life's work is how do I take all of that experience that I have and knowledge and apply it to a new avenue. So when you're watching the Eagles yesterday uh, and Jalen Hurts in the crunch mo uh, crunch time throws that ball to A.J. Brown in the end zone, drops it in there, and you see A.J. Brown with the late hands, which he's so good at, 
So the DB doesn't really know the ball's coming, although, you know, they're kind of midway through the end zone, so it's going to come. Um, but as a DB, how tough is he to defend? My thing is that he's got a rare combination of obviously size and speed, which just God-given ability in that space makes him hard to deal with, you know, in general. Um, but when you have somebody who's committed to, you know, doing the dirty work and he has all of the skill sets, the, the small things, like you said, the late hands, a release, you know, the ability to create separation, a quarterback who has some ball placement, you know, those things just make him exponentially diff more difficult to cover. And I think, you know, you know, when you start pairing it with other weapons where he can get one-on-ones, he's going to eat all year. And I think that's, you know, that's the reason he's here. That's why, um, you know, we hang our hat on him. But he's going to have to do that for this team to have success. So you see A.J. Brown, and then there's Devontae Smith. Um, how close are they as far as tough to cover? Uh, I mean, Devontae, so skinny, and yet he puts his body on the line and he can get his toes down. I mean, how would you compare them as far as tough to cover? Um, I mean, the, they're both tough to cover, but in, for totally different reasons, right? Like, you know, I look at Smith, his ability to catch the ball, to maneuver his body, his body control, you know, make those tough catches on the sideline and perimeter. That is a very special God-given skill. He's not a big guy, but, you know, he takes the punishment. He knows how to protect himself. He, he's a savvy player um, who can still stretch the field. And I think when you have either of those, you know, on, you know, both ends of the field, it's just pick your poison. If you want to give too much attention over here, we can beat you with our right hand. We also got a mean left hand too. So I think it's, you know, they definitely complement each other because they're both on the field at the same time. They both get one-on-ones, which makes them, you know, win more times than not. Is there one that would be tougher to cover, do you think? Uh <laughs> uh, I'm a for you know, I was always I didn't like the little guys, you know, as a bigger receiver, a bigger DB. I could, you know, I wanted to line up and get into a slugfest. Not to say I wanted to line up with Brown, but you know, if I'm gonna uh if I'm gonna pick my poison, I'm like, give me the bigger receiver just because I got a chance. A small guy running around the yard, catching the ball, doing his acrobatics and things like that. That's not what you want as a as a bigger DB, especially if he's gonna take the hits that you give him too. You're not gonna slow him down any. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't really want to see either of those guys on, on a Sunday. <laughs> and how about James Bradbury with his size and his ability? He's he's kind of playing the slot now. Uh, how do you think that that that's going to work out? Of course, the injury to Devontae Maddox. How do you think that'll work out with Bradbury playing in that slot? Um, I, you know, I'm not sure. I, I've only obviously seen him on the outside. Um, I hadn't really paid attention to that spot, but I know, you know, playing the nickel, position is it's not just like you can throw any corner in there and the in the the skill set translates you're essentially playing linebacker so the the knowledge and cerebral part of the game expands exponentially like you have to understand run fits you have to understand what the linebackers are where the safety is where your help is you're playing more with leverage you don't have the sideline you know right there so you've got a ton of space to your left and your right and so it takes a true understanding of the defense in order to be successful in there. You're going to blitz a few times. You got to understand how to disguise it, how to not get called out. All of these things, you know, play a role in that particular position. You know, are you going to cover a running back, a tight end or a receiver? Three different skill sets. And I think, you know, he's definitely got the obviously the size and ability to, to cover on the outside. I think what we'll have to see is if the other parts of the game develop, um, 
and and he can become a true nickel, not just like your your corner that can play inside. I mean, you played all over, so you know about these things. Yeah, yeah, that was my home. Like the nickel spot was my home because it is a blend of you know probably three or four uh, different positions, and it's going to ask you to do a lot, and so. Um, and you know, it's one of those things where we act like it's the third corner, but the nickel position is really your, your queen. If this is a chessboard, they can, you know, they're the one you're going to move around the most, put in different matchups and acts to and demand the most out of. So they got to be a very, very cerebral player. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for, or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. So I'm going to talk about Jake Elliott. Uh, you were teammates with him. And you look at what he has done. He He now has... Four 50-yard field goals this year, one short of his career high. Uh, it's the longest game-winning field goal, 54 yards since the NFL merger for the Eagles. Um, just how clutch is Jake Elliott? And and would you ever just watch him in, in the process he goes through? No, no, we don't pay attention much to kickers, to be honest. It's just like, oh, go do your job. But you know, but you know, you know, it's like you don't you don't really know what's in the secret sauce. You really don't care as long as it's there on Sundays, right? And I think he's somebody when you get in those situations, you don't even think about, you know, oh, is he ready or is he no, put him out there. You know what he's gonna do. He's proven it time and time again. It's like, you know, it's just like having, you know, a bet that you know is gonna be good. It's there's no worry about it, no thought. You 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 long as you get him in range, you get within this space, you know you got a chance to win it. And I think that's what everybody wants out of their kicker. Uh, and expects out of their kicker, but we all know when you look around the league that that's just not the case. And which and what we have is special. Yeah, and and when you were teammates, I keep saying with him, we, I keep saying we, you got me reminiscing about all the people stuff. I'm like right back in the locker room. It's crazy. I love it. I love <laughs> it. People love to hear that. And 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 that yeah. field goal he made, the 61 yarder against the Giants. Yeah. You guys went on to win nine or ten after that. Go on to win the Super Bowl. Yeah. How big was that moment for that team that year? It was huge. I mean, again, you, you're trying to prove to yourself the different ways that you can win throughout the year, right? And so, you know, sometimes it's going to be a blowout. Sometimes it's going to be somebody getting the game-winning touchdown. Sometimes it's going to be the defense stopping, you know, the offense from, from going. Other times you're going to need that last-minute field goal. And what you want to know as early as possible, again, is that you have all of these tools. So when you get in a situation, nobody's panicking, nobody's, you know, frantic everybody's poised to the end because you know you can win this game multiple ways so i play tennis i play the non-contact sports you play the tough sports mm -hmm. um now jake elliott you know his story right he was found on the tennis court in high school i did not know that yeah he was a tennis player um now when you were teammates with him i'm told like okay he's the best on the eagles in golf bowling like does he dominate everything the specialists are always those guys. I mean, most of the time we're out practicing and they're in the locker room playing cornhole or like you said, golfing. They they do all of those things, you know, pretty often. That's any team I've been on. The best golfers, the best free throw shooters, the best ping pong players, uh, bowling, always the specialists. They got the most time in their hands. <laughs> He's not true. kicking for three hours straight. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. 
So isn't it a funny concept though, with the kicker and much respect, but like, it's really the only sport that I can think of where there's a game going on. You go through all these plays up and down the field, and then they bring somebody else onto the field that has had nothing to do with the game and doesn't even do the same things you're doing the entire game. And that could be the difference of a team going to a Super Bowl and, and the big moments. It's pretty wild. Yeah, that's life. You know, you go through things. Sometimes you you put all the cards on the table. You've, you've done everything. And then now this last little bit is up to somebody else on your team. You know, that's got to take it to the to the finish line or you got to depend on somebody else that, you know, it's like a trust fall. <laughs> yeah. You want to make sure that wherever wherever you fall into, uh, you know, is put in that work and is capable. But it is definitely uh, what makes team sports beautiful, beautiful, because it's not about how good the individuals are. It's about how good the team is. And all it takes is for that one moment for your weakest link to get exposed. And that's the difference between winning and losing. Yeah. And- Eagles coach Nick Sirianni says he doesn't even watch the field goals. He, he It's just too tense for him. He, he looks away and somebody gives him a signal. Were you one who watched the important field goals or no? Yeah, I watched. That's the best part of the game. It's like, that's like watching, you know, an entire movie and then closing your eyes at the climax. Like, no, you got to see it. it. This is what the drama's about. That's why we love the game. It gets our heart pumping. Uh, you know, you want to know. You know, I think those moments are just as exhilarating as like, you know, uh, Odell Beckham catch. You know, those – those kickers who, you know, like you said, have been sitting on the, the bench all day. They've been contemplating this big pressure moment. They've watched the game like a fan and know that, hey, everything is riding on this, my ability to do this one thing. Uh, that to me is great. It's great television. It is. Um, one final question before we dive into the book a little more. You see the Eagles and 49ers are the only undefeated 4-0 teams in the NFL. Who, in your opinion, are the top three Best teams in the NFL right now? Uh, I honestly cannot say that I've watched enough to give a real good opinion on it. I think, you know, just off of a few games that I've watched, I would I would look at the Eagles as a, as a complete team. The 49ers is a complete team. Um, and then, you know, I think everybody was looking at the Dolphins until they just, you know, took a pretty, a pretty good L. So you're looking at Dolphins, Bills, Chiefs on the other end. Um, but it's too early to to talk about that, to be honest. It's, you know, we're through the first month. Um, things will change drastically. You know, October October is is cool, but November, December, you start to see the, the separation of really who the cream of the crop is and who isn't. That's very true. And your book, What Winners Won't Tell You, um, it's a memoir. And uh, how special is it when you like, I don't know if it was a pen. I don't know if you recited it to somebody but when you got down that that final word was done how rewarding and special was that man i wrote it myself so when really? i was finally done with it yes i had a i had a ghostwriter and um the voice just didn't come through and so maybe uh 30 days a little bit of a little bit more than a month before the book was due we didn't have a manuscript that we could use and I had to write it myself in about 30 days. And so I'll put myself into a training camp mode where every morning I'm up 5 a.m. writing, uh, going through the stories, doing all these things and then put it together. So when I handed it in, <laughs> uh, it felt it felt great. It was it, it felt like I had just in the training camp, but it was <laughs> but the book and the product that I got was so much more in my voice. It was so much more impactful. The storytelling, you know, is I try to bring people literally into my helmet and on the field. Uh, into my emotions is definitely a raw book that is um, very, 
I'm very vulnerable in it, which is why I don't have my pads on in the in the in the, on the cover. It's kind of this this unveiling of what goes on behind the greatness that everybody you know reveres. And what do you think is the biggest message that somebody would take out of reading the book? Yeah, you know, it's hard to take one message, right? The the whole purpose is that this is a it's an evolution of a person. Like winning is not we think of winners at the end of the game, right? That's how we we determine who won and who lost. But realistically, the winners were already winning. That you the winning is a lifestyle, is what you do day in and day out, how you carry yourself. Uh, and you can't wait till the end of the game to enjoy the ride. The the fun in life, the joy in life is playing the game. <laughs> And so it's it's really a journey and a maturation walking people through, um, you know, that that feel. Even the stories go back and forth to to kind of give you a feel of uh, it jumps, you know, in time, you know, past, present to give you a feel of like the fast pace of a football game and how it, it you know, things change suddenly or momentum shifts and you might be down for a season and you come back. All of that is in this space. All of that is life and people are dealing with that. So whether you even like sports or not, uh, this book is for you. Is there a story or a moment or something profound from your time with the Eagles or in Philly that you've included into the book that um, evolved you into a different place or anything along those lines? Yeah, one of my favorite plays, you know, uh, somebody asked me one time, when did you know that the 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 team was yours? And, uh, and it reminded me of um, – when we went to Foxborough and beat Tom Brady and the Patriots um, with Chip Kelly, and we scored three non-offensive touchdowns to win that game. Like we did it, you know, in the most, you know, craziest way possible. But I remember walking off that field because I had said some controversial things in the controversial things in the media that 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 week about not having accountability and and we needed to to stand up and uh and so there was a lot of pressure going into that game, but coming out of it. What I knew was because of the stance that I took and the plays that I made, myself, Darren Sproles, and Mark um, and uh, Chris Maragos had solidified ourselves as like the leaders of the team, the voices, the people that guys were going to follow. Um, and and that's those are one of my favorite memories because I knew at that point after that game I had the attention of my teammates, and we had started regardless of what the coaching situation was, the locker room uh, was going to stick together. That was the uh, that was the game where Jeff Lurie, I believe, thought maybe the team had kind of separated from their head coach, Chip Kelly, and he came through the locker room, I think, pregame, and, and I, I guess he had yeah, an embrace yeah. with everybody? Yeah, he yeah he left T-shirts in everybody's locker that said, play mad. Uh, so I, I go through that moment. Like, I talk about that in the book, and that's one of my one of my favorite plays as an Eagle because not only, you know, the pick six and, and all of those things and winning the game, but for what it meant for me as a leader on that team and what it meant for, um, you know, even just like how the culture that we were creating and how it would bloom there, you know, a couple of years after into a Super Bowl, those were the early seeds that we were planting that were uncomfortable, that were hard to do, that eventually turned into our legacy. So you, uh, I believe in the beginning said you kind of get vulnerable, vulnerable. Um, mm -hmm. Were there any things that you revealed in this book that maybe we didn't know about that you were going through plenty. or <laughs> oh, plenty. Yeah. Every chapter, you're going to learn something new about me. Uh, one of the hardest chapters to write about is, is called one eleventh is chapter 11. Um, and I talk about, you know, at the height of all of this, the Super Bowl, 
um, the social justice movement. You know, I was in front of a lot of these things and compartmentalizing my emotions and feelings so that I could function in these roles as a leader in all of these spaces, my family, uh, the community, but was not showing to people that, you know, I was struggling with anxiety and depression and was having suicidal thoughts. And and then I, so I revealed that and talk about how I worked through that by asking for help, starting therapy and, and taking care of myself. I talk about the struggles of, you know, becoming a single father after a divorce and, and what that looks like when, you know, you have a dream and this vision for what your life is going to look like, but then you have to abandon that plan and start anew. You know, all of these things, again, were, you know, particular to me, but I know there are people that struggle with this in everyday life outside of sports. Um, and and while we might see champions and winners kind of on the exterior, um, they go through things as well and, and losing and, and and finding themselves is actually part of the process of becoming a winner. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's going to be a ton that people learn about me in this book, times where you've seen me push back, where you've seen me uh, take a back seat um, and ultimately, you know, take this journey into the man I am today. You mentioned suicidal thoughts. Do you think that that comes from the career you were in, the pressure of football, or were there things just inside and things maybe you didn't know were there inside of you? No, I think football has always been the escape. You know, it got to the point where the games and practice is where that's where I was resting. <laughs> like that is everything outside of it. You know, just being a human being, uh, dealing with or having anxiety and not necessarily knowing how to deal with it. I wasn't in a place where I wanted my life to end. I wanted the anxiety to end. And that would that seemed to be, you know, the only thing that made sense because that's how, you know, wrapped up in it I was. And so it just it, it it even now it's not a place where the anxiety is gone. It's just at a place where you learn new tools, you evolve and understand how to cope with these pressures and things that happen. Because if there's one thing you know about me, it's not like I'm gonna get smaller or shrink myself. <laughs> I'm only gonna do more, and so and help more and and and, and give. So. In order for me to do that, I needed to learn to take care of myself, to to make sure that I had the proper bandwidth to even be useful. Uh, and that's why it's, you know, the, it, that chapter is called 111, uh, because it's like, how do I make sure that I'm available and accountable for my role, whatever that is? So some things are outside of my control, but some things are. And the things that are, I'm responsible for. And I need to make sure I equip myself with the right training, the right bandwidth, right therapies and all these things to make sure I can play that role. You mentioned some things you were going through during the Super Bowl run, bringing Philadelphia its first Super Bowl. Were there times where you had to push yourself to to do what you were supposed to do? I mean, did it get that bad? Like, I didn't feel like doing this or, you know, to push yourself to get you into that right frame of mind to do what you're best at in football. Um, yeah, I had to actively compartmentalize those things. And I'm, I'm, I think, you know, maybe to my own detriment, uh, because, you know, I would come to the facility and squash any stress or feelings that I had about, you know, anything that was going on socially, anything that was going on in my family. Um, I was all about business when I got there. You know, I could see the link over the 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 hedges of the practice field. And, and every day I would, my goal was right in front of me. When I step in that building, I want to be a beast. So it was very easy for me to come to work and forget about those things. It was the other, you know, 12 hours or whatever, 18 hours of the day that became a struggle because you're trying to compartmentalize a lot of things and work through things you can't control. 
uh, things that you might not be having a, a, as much success in. It's like I can go in the in a locker room and lead 53 men and have all their attention, but you know I'm struggling to lead my family or you know, there's things I want to do in the community, um, but I'm just stuck between, you know, the time constraints of my job and and the pains of my community. All of these things, you know, again, are not uh, exclusive to football players or athletes. These are just stresses that that happen with being a man in society, uh, being a person in society. Um, and so hopefully my story and my the way that I navigated those things provide some you know, context around myself, but also a roadmap for anyone else who may be looking for help. Did you ever talk with Lane Johnson or, or Barrett Brooks? Actually, no, I'm sorry, Brandon Brooks. Um, yeah. Did you talk with those guys at all about what you were going through or if they had at that time already come out and discussed their situation publicly? No, I know Brandon was dealing with, with his anxieties. Um, and it's, you know, it was, I remember not really understanding it because mine hadn't gotten to a critical space yet, but I was soon there, you know, behind him. And it was different, you know, ours manifested in different ways. So, uh, but no, and that's, that's part of kind of the, the, the problem, right? Is this taboo where we don't, you know, show these things we're trying to put on that we are strong. You know, we know people are watching this. You're not trying to show any weakness, so no, there wasn't many conversations about it, which is why, you know, I felt the need to to put that stuff in this book to let, you know, people know that yes, this it's not just the the outliers. This is a very, you know, common thing. Um and, you know, sometimes people get lost in feeling like they're alone or they're the only ones going through it. Um so to be able to showcase how I navigated that um I thought was important. Was this book therapeutic for you doing it and and talking about it and then are you in a better place now would you say yeah no for sure i think my book front to start you know front to back is is was therapeutic because it allowed me to connect the dots between those like pivotal moments and then the early moments in my life where these lessons were instilled in me so when you see me as this defender and fighter for social justice and things like that it was fun trying to connect the dots to when did I learn these behaviors? When did, you know, that who were the, the people that I watched and got these things from and how did I navigate it? Um, because it didn't, again, it's like the, on the front of the cover, it's, it's myself on the back. It's, it's a younger version of me. And the metaphor there is that both are me, you know, there isn't like you, you, you grow out of somebody. It's like, no, you carry your entire life with you. So even right now I still deal with anxiety. I still deal with the same pressures and all of that, but, um, I've learned to cope differently. I've, I've learned that I'm not alone in it. So when those things come, you know, I can face, I can face that anxiety with confidence with in, you know, battle back on some of those things because life is forever and you play this game forever. Uh, but what you do is you learn how to play it better. And so that's all I've tried to do. That's really what, uh, what most people don't tell you, especially those who are most successful. Um, and so hopefully it just leads is, is a roadmap for those, uh, just trying to navigate this thing. Yeah, well, this this sounds like a great book to read, and and maybe people can can get some help out of it and uh, comfort, as you said. Uh, nobody's alone in what they're going through. What winners won't tell you, your memoir. That is awesome that you did this, and we appreciate your time. Um, and you know, in Philly, Malcolm, uh, getting ready here for a red October. The Phillies are back in the playoffs. You got the Eagles at four and zero. Uh, can you just describe for me as an athlete, a great athlete in this city, when you were playing here, what it's like to be in the city of Philadelphia when the teams are on a run, on a ride, um, and just what it's it a, feels like for you? 
Yeah, it's a the whole vibration. You can tell that the whole city has a different frequency. Like it's everybody's a little bit, you know, more chipper. Everybody's, you know, talking about it. There's a buzz on the radio. There's buzz in the coffee shops. There's buzz in the classrooms. There's buzz in the news. You know, everybody is feeling kind of like, hey, this is a moment. Uh, as an athlete, that was the most uncomfortable part about it all because you know how. As soon as that changes, you know the demeanor of the city. <laughs> These good feelings only, only last as long as they last, right? So once <laughs> once this tide changes, you'll be back to this to to kind of the tough love. So I, I've learned to ignore both both of those things because you know it's it's fun for the fan, it's fun for the city, but as the athlete responsible for maintaining that feeling, it, it's like trying you know you're trying to give the city its fix <laughs> over and over and over again that's that's a little tough <laughs> yeah i mean do you i guess if you listen to it all the time then you start to have this weight on your shoulders of like everybody's emotional state yeah yeah exactly and, it, and it's your responsibility right <laughs> <It's> <laughs> the way that you covered this receiver on sunday uh is now you know responsible for everybody's good or bad week that's a lot to carry so for me i usually shut those things off uh, didn't listen to many, you know, radio shows. Don't I don't didn't watch the TVs much. I just focused on, you know, the here and now, and let the fans enjoy, you know, the the atmosphere of the city when things are doing well. But it is special. I, like it is something that is unlike, you know, any other city. Um, be, you know, it's and it, because you know the, the fans are some of the best sports fans in the world. They genuinely love sports, no matter what it is. So when you got multiple, you know, sports in the city doing well. Yes, that's the trifecta. Yeah, and 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 you did the ultimate thing for this city—the first Super Bowl ever here yeah. in Philadelphia. So an amazing thing. You're a part of this city forever. And once again, the book is "What Winners Won't Tell You." Everybody should get out and give it a read. We appreciate your time, Malcolm, and and thanks for opening yourself up uh, in this book for everybody. No problem. I hope everybody gets something out. I hope it inspires. You got it. Good catching up with you. Appreciate it, brothers. Oh, I'm so Let it go.